All right, let's go ahead and find our places. We will get started here in a second. Thanks for coming again, and uh, we are going to roll even though we're not in the normal routine of things. So we're not going to be in 2 Corinthians today. Um, you know, if you're, a, if you're a baseball fan and your team has to put in the pinch hitter, you're always a little nervous. But uh, that's what we're doing. You hope for the best. So we're going to pray and ask God to make the best of the, the pinch hitter. Um, the last time that I got to preach for you, a couple weeks ago, we started 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I got to tell that story about, you know, Paul referring to himself in the third person and how I knew a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven, you know, and he heard these unspeakable words, it's not lawful for man um, to, to utter and that sort of thing. And so we talked some things about the, the third heaven and paradise and, and our glorified bodies and the state that we'll be in and, and all that sort of thing. And that was pretty encouraging to me. I, several people had come to me and said it was encouraging to them. Um, so when I was called last minute to, you know, fill in today, I thought, well, I'm going to do something that's similar in theme to that because that's kind of been on my mind and, and all and, you know, the, the medical stuff I went through and so many people in our church have seem, seemingly gone through medical stuff. We're praying for people in the hospital all the time and struggles and I just decided that this morning... Um, we're just going to kind of do a little topical study. It's actually something that I've preached for you many, many years ago, so some of you might remember, maybe you don't, probably you don't, but uh, that's okay. And, uh, but I want it to be an encouragement to you. I want it to be a blessing and encouragement to you. Um, you know, we, we talk about when believing people die, that they go to heaven. You know, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and, and, and that's true and all. Um, but is that really our inheritance? Is that really, I mean, what, what is that really all about? And so what I want to talk to you about today, the little title I've given to the message is The Characteristics of the Millennium. And I want to spend some time talking about this millennial kingdom, the kingdom of God, which if you're a Bible student, you know is a spiritual kingdom that's within you. When it joins together with the kingdom of heaven, which is a physical earthly kingdom, and when the two finally become one, and Jesus Christ is on the throne on the earth for a 1,000-year earthly kingdom that is also a spiritual kingdom. This is the millennium, uh, literally 1,000 years that will begin after the second coming, the bodily return of Jesus Christ to planet earth. This kingdom actually is the main theme of the entire Bible, and yet surprisingly too few people actually understand what it's going to be like. So what I want to do for you this morning is just take some time and describe for you some of the characteristics of this 1,000-year period that awaits us all, and uh, hope to give you a better understanding of what's in our, I think, not that distant future. So if you will, let's just pray together. Uh, we'll get God's mind on this thing, and then we'll jump into it. So Heavenly Father, again, we come to you. We're humbled, and we're thankful, and we do want to just ask for your healing hand on, on Troy, and, and that he would be uh, doing well. I also just want to pray for all our brothers and sisters who are struggling with sicknesses. I know a lot of people have been in and out of hospitals with some fairly serious conditions. Pray that you continue to touch their bodies and give comfort to their families. Uh, some of our dear friends, Lord, have lost loved ones recently, and that's a particularly tough time, but 
Maybe the conversation about glory and heaven and the millennium and inheritances can be a blessing and encouragement to them as well. I, I pray that you would use this message today. I do pray you'd give us a vision. You'd give us a vision of what is a sure thing, the future that you have promised in your word, that you would give comfort, especially to those who have recently lost people. But I pray that you'd give us all understanding um, of what it is that, that you have promised. And, and I do pray, Lord, for anyone who's here who may not fully understand what it means to be saved, that they could understand that and that they would receive you as their Lord and Savior today and that they could secure their place in this millennial kingdom and into eternity beyond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we do have some notes for you, and hopefully the, the screen will work out and we'll see if this comes together. It was kind of last minute, but uh, let me start out by saying we believe that the Scriptures are to be understood dispensationally. A big theological term, basically all that means is, is that God has divided history into dispensations. To break that word down, the root of the word is to dispense. God dispenses the manner in which he gives out his grace, his plan to interact with humanity in different ways throughout human history. And in various times, in various time of, of history, uh, the Lord then dispenses his will, his grace in a unique way. Many of you are familiar with 2 Timothy 2.15, how we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. These right divisions are critical to you to, for you to be able to actually understand properly the context of the word of God. And these divisions give us what we refer to frequently as these dispensations. God changes how he's dispensing his plan to mankind over time through significant divisions throughout the Word of God. Now, for many of you, this is review. If you have been in our MTT program, this is for sure review for you. And if you're interested in that, of course, we have those applications available for you. But let me just say this. If you're a newer Bible student and you're thinking, I've never really heard about this before, it's not that big a deal. I'm going to try and make it real easy for you. First and foremost, everybody knows that about three-quarters of the way through your Bible, two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through your Bible, there's a great big division from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Everybody knows about that division, right? And so certainly there are some divisions. There's things in the Old Testament that we in the church age don't have to do anymore, right? Killing the blood and putting it on the doorpost or having the Levitical priesthood or going to the temple and doing all the sacrifices and keeping the law and the clean meats and the unclean and all that stuff we don't have to worry about. And the church said, hallelujah, amen. And uh, so there's a division. God has changed the way that he's interacting with man from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's no question about it. If you get into the study of classical dispensationalism, and we're not doing that today, but let me just say, there are typically understood, some people teach it a little differently, seven main classical dispensations. And uh, we teach those in those other classes that we have for you. But let me just say this. The majority of your Old Testament, not the entirety of it, but the majority of your Old Testament is what you understand as the dispensation of Moses or the dispensation of the law. So from the time of Moses, God gave the law on Sinai, and then he began to govern his people through this system of laws as described throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, generally speaking, we consider God to be a God of grace, and all we do is we apply the spiritual applications of the scriptural principles, whereas in the Old Testament, they had a physical kingdom, an earthly kingdom. That's why they're always fighting wars with nations. But in the New Testament, we, that's not our fight. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, right? So there's spiritual applications 
um, of the rules that remain, and, and they're not literal in those contexts. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about what about the time before the law? Because Moses wasn't the first guy to show up on the scene. Okay, then what about the time after the church? Have you ever really thought about the time after this dispensation of the church age? Well, that's what we're dealing with when we get to the millennium. This kingdom, the millennium, is the seventh of seven dispensations. Uh, the millennial kingdom is not heaven. It's not eternity. God is not finished with man yet. Now, he may be finished with us as the church, the, the body and the bride of Christ, because the rapture will have happened, and the church then is completed, right? But he's not finished with humanity, and he's not finished with Israel, as we'll see in a minute. But this kingdom lasts 1,000 years. That's what the word millennium means. From a Latin root, the mill part is a thousand, and the annum part means years, a thousand years. That's literally what the word means. If you're familiar with 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8, you know that with the Lord, a thousand years is as one day, and one day is as a thousand years. So therefore, we refer to this time of a 1,000-year kingdom on earth as the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, sometimes just referred to as that day, sometimes referred to as the Lord's day, right? So the Lord's day is not Sunday, not according to the Bible. The Lord's day is the kingdom. It's a 1,000-year day. That's what it is. So we go back to creation, and this is all review. This is all set up for you. So, you know, just, just hang on. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to slow it down, and you're going to get it. But in the creation account, we have an overall picture and typology of the entirety of human history. So God created everything that he created in six literal 24-hour days, right? And on the seventh day, God rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he's painting a picture for us of what that's all about. If you got into the details of what he did on day one and day two and day three, what you find is the most significant thing to find is that on the fifth day, after four days were complete, you find the first mention in your Bible of the word life. Life as it's expressly stated in Genesis chapter 1, appears for the very first time on day number 5. Now, why is that important? Because when we go now through the history of humanity, we find that if we chart backwards through the chronologies of the genealogies of the people in the Bible, are we, are we all doing okay? Are we all tracking? Are we doing all right? We find that Adam was created in the garden about 4,000 years before Jesus Christ. That would be the time when man showed up. God created man in the garden 4,000 B.C. That means that after 4,000 years, after four complete days, at the beginning of the fifth day, something monumental happened. Life showed up. Jesus Christ, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so we find that even the Genesis account is a picture of the history of man. And today here we sit some 2,000 and a little bit of change years after the beginning, the, the uh, initial introduction of Jesus Christ. And well, that's two more days. That means that man has been on planet earth for six days exactly with the calendar. We don't know the day and the hour, but darn it, aren't we close? And that means there's one day left. And on that day, the Lord rests. 
And we'll see a little bit about why that is here in just a second. But that one day that's left, that's the day of the Lord. That's God's day. It's the millennium. It's the seventh day. So that's the topic. And, and why are we studying it? I mean, I guess we'll be there eventually. And if you don't really know nothing about it, when you get there, you'll know something about it. But it kind of would be cool to know something about it ahead of time, I think, don't you? And so that's why we're studying it today. So we're going to study what the Bible has to say about this time period in three distinct areas, okay, of life. Because that's what's the most interesting about this period of time. So the first one we're going to look at, number one in your outline, is human life. Human life. Now remember, the millennium is not heaven. Human life continues. But the circumstances environment are very different. Jesus Christ will be present on earth. Remember, this is after his literal bodily return to planet earth. He'll be here on the planet, ruling from the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, The government of his kingdom will be called a theocracy. We call it a theocracy. Theo is a Greek word that just means God. Okay, so it's basically a monarchy led by God himself, right? He's the king over a kingdom. It's a monarchy. And we see this referred to in this prophecy that we always read during Christmas time. If you were with us in the 9 a.m., Corey actually referred to this as well during the 9 a.m. study on baptisms. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And we refer to this at Christmas time, Jesus Christ is born and all of that. And it goes on, it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. So he's going to have a government when he comes. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. Notice these words. Literally, these things are going to happen. And upon his kingdom. This is what we're talking about, this millennial kingdom. To order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This absolutely is going to happen literally as it's written. You might notice in Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, was certainly fulfilled at the first coming of Jesus Christ, but the establishment of his government doesn't actually happen until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so all these other manifestations that we see coming out really are going to be completed after he returns the next time. Then when he does return and he establishes his government, right, that will reign over all the earth, eventually over all of the universe, right, then all of us, the saved of the church age, from the dispensation of grace in which we're in right now, will also be present in glorified bodies, ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. And this is the part you've got to get. We're now in glorified bodies. Christ is in a glorified body. We rule and reign as governmental employees you don't like the government just hang on it could be your turn eventually (laughs) see how good you do (laughs) but reigning over regular flesh and blood humans that are going to be living on this planet and and that's an important thing we're going to be a part of christ's governmental structure psalm 104 verses 1 and 2 bless the lord O my soul O lord my god thou art very great thou art clothed with honor and majesty who coverest thyself with light As with a garment who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, the idea just pointing towards glorified bodies. So imagine the planet filled with regular humans, but also filled with glorified beings 
that are ruling in a complete righteous, holy monarchy. That's what you're going to see. This is the seventh day. And it is a day of rest. And it's a day of rest because if you were to go to Revelation chapter 20 in the first three verses, you'll find that Satan is bound in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Well, if the devil, I mean, just think how much rest we would get if he ain't messing with anybody anymore, right? Jesus Christ is ruling. Satan is bound. Man, that... And, and that's just a day of rest. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Well, it's also not heaven. It's also not eternity. It is the final dispensation, and a dispensation is set up as a test, as a test to see whether man will respond to God the way that God intended for man to respond. And in this particular set of circumstances of the millennium, you have literally the most favorable circumstances. In fact, you're, you'll have no need for faith. Because faith is the opposite of sight. And in the millennium, we have full sight of the glorified Christ on the throne of David ruling from Jerusalem and his emissaries all over the world, us, in glorified bodies. How much faith do you really need? The accuser of the brethren is out of the picture. He's the deceiver. He's the father of lies. Jesus is physically present. The Holy Spirit is still working. The princes of the power of the air, the demonic forces, they're out. And the prince of peace, he's in. There will be regular humans on the planet. They're going to be living normal lives. They might live in your house. I don't know. Getting married, going to work, having kids, going to school, playing sports, planting gardens, doing all the stuff you do. Who are these people that don't get the glorified bodies? What's up with that? Again, this is just the seventh dispensation. Who are these people? Well, they're the saints that come through the tribulation. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 4. I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image. We are squarely in the context of that tribulation period described in the book of Revelation. Neither had received his mark upon their foreheads. So anybody who resists all of these movements of the devil, eventually they'll make it through the tribulation. These were actually beheaded and killed. The souls are now under the throne. They um, did not receive the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. These are Jews and Gentiles that enter directly into the kingdom from the tribulation time. And the only people who are, let's, let's just say, for example, the rapture were to happen today, which would be awesome, by the way, um, then there's people alive around you that haven't received Christ yet, far too many of them, right? That means they're going into the tribulation. Well, if they've already heard the gospel of Jesus Christ now, there's actually no chance for them to get saved in the tribulation. This is a whole other Bible study, but let me just tell you. Yet still, there will be innumerable multitudes of people that will be saved during the tribulation, but only those people will be those who have never one time had a chance to hear the gospel during the church age. Shame on us. Because the church isn't doing her job getting the gospel around the world like we need to, there's innumerable multitudes of people today that have no idea about the gospel. The trumpet's going to blow. The church is going to go out. What's going to happen to those people? Well, they have their chance in the tribulation. And they can respond. They really can. These are the people. They're not a part of the church. 
But if they are believing people in the Lord God and they do what he says they need to do through the tribulation, then they will make it through into the millennium. They will make it into the millennium in regular flesh and blood bodies. Well, what will human life be like? Generally speaking, what can we glean from the scriptures about what that human life is going to be like on planet earth? Well, the first thing is long life. This is going to be similar to the time before Noah's flood. Remember the genealogies in the beginning of Genesis? People live in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That's what you can expect again. Isaiah 65, starting in verse number 20. There shall be no more thence in infinite days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. Notice, for the child shall die in a hundred years old. A person lives to be a hundred years old, they're still considered a child. But the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them, and they shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people. Trees live pretty long time, don't they? And mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Cross-reference Zechariah chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, who will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Not today it's not, by the way. They might call it that, but it certainly is not the center of truth, Jerusalem today. And it's certainly not holy, that patch of dirt over there today. But when Jesus lands there, it will be, see. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, notice, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem and every man with his staff in his hand for very age. They're going to live a long time because they're going to experience great health. They're going to experience great health. It's not going to be any blind people. It's not going to be any lame. You'll not see orphans, no cancer, no life-threatening diseases, great nutrition, healthy environment, helping one another, helping the foreigners, helping the widows. In the doctrinal context of the millennium, Psalm 146 and verse number 5, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help. Notice the God of Jacob. Jacob is Israel. This is a Jewish context. This is the millennium. Whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them, raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. These are not just spiritual thoughts to encourage you today, although they can be that for you. They are literal promises of what life is going to be like in the future. Let's talk a little bit about childbearing. You realize that in the millennium, there's not going to be any more sterility. You want to have children? You can have children. Psalm 113, verse number 9. He maketh the barren woman to keep house. And to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 128 verse 3. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. So the problems of childbirth, the problems that sometimes are affected by sickness and disease and all the things that come into our world today, they won't exist. They won't exist anymore. Just complete and perfect health the way the Lord always intended for us to have it before sin ever entered in. General human life is going to be so much better than we could ever understand today. We work so hard or we think we work hard 
And we try to work hard to try and live as long as we can and to eat right or to keep yourself in shape the best you might try to do. Whatever, whatever you choose, the idea is you understand you're living constantly under a burden that this old body's breaking down. But God's going to fix it. He's going to fix it all. And it's, again, this is not just an eternity. The final dispensation will provide a life that will be an amazing life. Well, I said he's also not done with Israel. He's not done with man, but he's also not done with Israel because Israel is reestablished as God's people. And that's in several different ways that I want to explain to you. One of them is in their national salvation. And, and this comes from Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 25. It's actually one of the New Testament mysteries uh, that we study when we study the mysteries. It says in Romans eleven twenty five, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So blindness spiritually about their Messiah, Jesus Christ, is upon Israel today during the church age. Romans is written to the church. But it's only blindness in part. And those who would erroneously believe that God is all done with Israel, that Israel has no future, that the church has completely replaced Israel, we call that replacement theology and it's a heresy. Anybody who would believe such thing is ignorant of the mystery and God says, whatever you do, don't be ignorant of this mystery. Israel's coming back. Israel's coming back. And they're going to be disciplined. You don't have to be mad at Israel. If you're, if you're a Jew hater, just don't worry about it. Don't get involved. God's going to take care of that during the tribulation. They're going to get theirs in the neck. It's going to be tough for them. But at the end, what we're going to see is where I left off reading, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their corporate sins. This is not individual salvation. National salvation of the nation of Israel, God's chosen elect people. And as a result, when that happens, Israel is then established, fulfilling the prophecy of Deuteronomy, as the head of all nations. Sorry, United Nations Assembly, you're wrong. Everybody hates Israel, you're betting wrong. Israel's going to win, and you're betting on the wrong, on the wrong horse. Deuteronomy 28, 13, and the Lord shall make thee, Israel, the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. Today, all the nations of the world are nothing more than a headless body. They're, they're, they're just members running around without one particular head to guide them. But ultimately, they are going to have a chief nation ruling over them and it's going to be the very nation that they hated the most, that they hated the most. This ultimately is the fulfillment of the prophecies of Daniel and Daniel 9 and other places like that. But because Israel is now under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and they're saved and the Lord is leading them and they are the head, they are the chief among all the nations, then Jesus Christ as the head ultimately rules with a rod of iron. Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of David, David's throne is the throne of Israel, Right? Of course Israel is on top. Jesus Christ is a Jew. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Psalms chapter 2, verse number 6. 
Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. There's going to be a strong disciplinary force to make sure that the nations get in line. Don't you wish somebody would just do that? Don't you wish somebody could make the nations get in line? Well, he will, just not necessarily as quickly as you might think, but he will. He'll break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And because Jesus Christ on David's throne in Jerusalem, Israel leading all the other nations around the world, because that's in effect, then we finally recognize and realize the next point I have in your notes is worldwide peace. Worldwide peace. No wars. No fighting. You guys know this. The, the inscription in the United Nations Assembly Building in New York City comes from Micah 4, 3 and 4. He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. They actually don't start there. The inscription starts here. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. We don't need weapons anymore. We can turn them into farm tools. Let's just plow the ground and make some food. We don't need to fight with each other anymore. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. And so the United Nations, and I'm not here just to dog on them today, it's just an obvious illustration of how man has blown it by eliminating God from the equation and trying to think that they can bring in God's plan without him. And so they're failing miserably at their mission uh, because they're imitators and, and, they're, and they're actually fighting against the plan of the Lord by not submitting to the kingdom of God, spiritually speaking, first. But what you see here in Micah, for example, was pictured for us under the reign of Solomon. Solomon, the son of David, a great type and a picture of Jesus Christ sitting on the throne in the millennium. Solomon was the king of Israel over a time of great peace. When David was in charge, they were fighting all the time. David won all the wars. Solomon got in charge, and there was no more fighting. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon, the son of David. Jesus Christ, the son of David, is going to rule over this planet at a time when there are no more wars. It'll all be done. And what's going to happen is the kings of the earth are going to be bringing presents to Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. That's what it says in Psalm 68. This is awesome. Verse 29, because of thy temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto thee. Just imagine that. All the kings and the leaders of the world political movement today, where do they bring their presents? They bring them to the Pope. Well, there's no hope in the Pope. Um, they're going to bring them to Jesus in the millennium. That's, that's a falsehood. That's an imitation. That's a poor supplement. Why are the kings going to bring presents to Jesus and Jerusalem? Well, why wouldn't they? Can you imagine how thankful they're all going to be for the man who establishes world peace? The dream of every Miss America. It's going to happen. So what does the Antichrist do? What does the devil do through the man of sin? He tries to imitate it. He tries to bring in a false peace. And so all the political lies and deception that 
we're far too accustomed with, over, done, gone. And Israel has a mission as the leader, and that mission is to be a blessing unto the Gentile nations. Genesis chapter 12, all the way back to Abraham. And I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You say, I don't want Israel ruling over me. Well, we're in the church, it doesn't really matter. But if you were a part of the nations on the earth at that time, well, why would you not? Why would you care if all they do is pour out blessing to you? See, we can't even comprehend that today because we think about some man ruling over us and all men are sinful and all the systems break down and there's always trouble. But that's not going to be the case. Jesus Christ is perfect and holy and righteous and loving and all those under his direction will rule in that direction. And Israel will be the one that sits in that place and bringing blessing to all the nations, all the families of the earth. Human life. That's what it's going to be like. Let's talk about natural life, point number two. Nature in itself will be largely affected in a great part because there will be a new temple in Jerusalem. Now, the basis for this, if you want to do some study on your own, are really the last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel. You go from Ezekiel chapter 40 to Ezekiel chapter 48, just spend some time in there, read through it real slow and realize the context is the establishment of this kingdom and the temple and the throne in Jerusalem and all the consequences that come from it. So many of the references that we'll be seeing here will come from Ezekiel, not all of them. But let me ask you a question. What affects nature more than anything else? Well, it's in your notes. There's two main items and that's light and water. They affect nature more than anything else, light and water. So let's take a look at that. In the millennium, Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 26. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun shall be sevenfold, as the light of seven days. When? In the day. That's the day of the Lord. The day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. When the Lord establishes his kingdom, then there's going to be light like you've never seen light before. Go down to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 and 20. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thy an everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Because everything will be illuminated by God's Shekinah glory. And the light that radiates from there. Well, let's talk a little bit about water. Because what we see in Ezekiel is that there's going to be a river that flows out from the temple. A new river flowing out from the temple. In Ezekiel 47, afterward he brought me again to the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Now, this is important because this is the source of transferring all natural life on earth. The waters flow into all, from the temple into all of the other waters to heal them. So whatever death or disease or, or problems that would have existed in the other waters this perfect holy water heals the waters 
And so we'll go down further in Ezekiel 47 and pick it up in verse number 8. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. So as a result of the waters being healed, you can only imagine what that does to life that exists in the waters, great multitudes of fish. And, you know, I imagine fishing is probably pretty easy at this point in time. There's tons of them everywhere and probably easy to catch. The very next verse 9, And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall Live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. By the time those waters of life make it to you, wherever you live on this planet, eventually everything is interconnected with the system of water. You're going to have healing throughout. And there's trees on both sides of this river, fruit trees. And the leaves of these trees are medicinal, affecting the long life of the people. Go down a few more verses in verse number 12. And by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat." and the leaf thereof for medicine. So we'll see it again in just a second, but once again, man returns to his original state in the garden, and they're all vegetarians. They're not eating meat. The leaves and the plants and the fruit are the meat, and the leaves are for medicine. You find yourself not feeling well? Go pick a few leaves. Get some of that good water, make you a cup of tea, drink that thing down, you're going to be great. You're going to have no problem whatsoever. Well, let's break it down a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about plant life. Letter letter A, letter number A, that's weird, letter A. Romans chapter 8, very interesting, Romans 8, 22. Notice this, what it says. For we know, Paul says, there's some things we know, that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together Unto now. That means all the trees and the plants and everything. Man, they're groaning in creation together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why? Because we're waiting for the adoption. To wit. In other words, what that is, is the redemption of our body. Not just we waiting for the redemption of our bodies, which, hallelujah, I'm telling you, can't wait. All of creation, groaning and travailing, just can't, they can't wait either. Nature is going to take on the characteristics of Eden before the fall of man, before the entrance of sin. In other words, the curse that was pronounced on nature in Genesis chapter 3 is going to be lifted. It's going to be like the descriptions we got of the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Grapes the size of grapefruit. They took two men to carry a bunch of grapes on a staff between them. They were so big. Even after the curse, it would continue to bring forth abundantly as long as they continue to respect the Sabbaths. And that's what we see in Joel chapter 3 and verse number 18. And it shall come to pass in that day. That's the millennial day. 
that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord. We already talked about that and shall water the valley of Shittim. So we're going to have perfect watering. As a result of perfect watering, we're going to find out that the desert is going to bloom like a rose. We see that in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse number 1. Again, this is because of the waters coming forth from the temple. The wilderness and the solitary places shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. And we're talking about the desert blossoming as the rose. We're not just talking about the little bit of dry land that exists in current modern-day Israel, which is about the size of Massachusetts. We're talking about the Arabian desert is going to blossom like the rose. That's how God is going to affect the plant life. As a result of being able to grow food anywhere, we're not going to have any overpopulation problems. No over, listen, this world is not overpopulated, y'all. They're lying to you. It's only overpopulated because we cram ourselves together in cities. You ever really look across the map? There's ridiculously large amounts of land that nobody lives. There's plenty of room for everybody. And especially if you can grow food there, right? I mean, that's the main thing. Psalm 65, 9, thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou, now, God is visiting the earth. There, get your context. He waters it, thou greatly enrichest it. With the river of God, which is full of water, thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Go down to six, uh, chapter 67, verse 3. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let the, all the people praise thee. Then, when all that happens, right, they're all going to be praising him when he returns and establishes righteousness. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him as a result of the praise. The earth isn't going to yield any more thorns or briars. Any of you plant a garden? You're tired of going out and ripping the weeds out, and then they grow back again, and you rip them out, and they grow back again? I'm telling you what, I don't understand weeds. I don't, they kind of freak me out. <laughs> they, you know, a couple years ago, we went and we put down that heavy tarp stuff for landscaping and then and just truckloads of rocks on top of the tarp weeds pop through them concrete in the driveway weeds grow through the through the concrete none of that anymore that stuff ain't coming back isaiah 55 13 instead of the thorn there shall come up the fir tree instead of the briar there shall come up the myrtle tree and it shall be to the lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off that's what you can expect from plant life let's talk for a minute about animal life Isaiah chapter 11, this is a beautiful thing. Animal life, Isaiah eleven six. 6. Notice this, this is the context of the millennium. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. That 100-year-old little child. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall also be a vegetarian, shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord to the same extent that the waters not cover the earth, that the waters cover the sea. 
The waters cover the sea. They're called the sea because they're water. The waters cover the sea completely. You see, this idea of animals viciously attacking each other and eating each other, that's, that's the law of the jungle, right? But you've got to realize, God didn't start life in a jungle. He started in a garden. But a garden that gets overgrown and out of control becomes a jungle. And we live in a jungle. He's going to return to a garden. He's going to return to a garden. The animals are vegetarians. We saw that already. Like it was in the garden before sin. That's what we see in Genesis 1, 29 and 30. God said, Behold, I have given unto you, he's talking to Adam, every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, not just to man, but to the beasts, even back in the garden, and every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein is life, have I given green, every green herb for meat. And it was so. Now, it's not sin to eat meat today. The New Testament makes that clear. Enjoy your bacon. I'm just saying that this is the way it was, and this is the way it's going to be. There's something about the way God planned it. You can compare that with Genesis chapter 9 after the flood, where for the first time in human history, God introduces eating meat, at which time also man's lifespan began to dramatically shorten. <laughs> Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. That's, that's Noah after the, after the flood. Let me just say something. We're almost done, but I got another point, but it won't take long. Listen, don't you want to make sure you're going there? I mean, just think about it for a second. Isn't this someplace you long to be? Deep down in your soul, don't you groan and travail to make sure that you don't blow it? You don't live your life so selfishly for yourself and putting off the decision to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ that you miss out on this? Because we're not even talking about what happens to you if you miss out on this. I think you got the idea of what that's going to be all about. You don't want to go there. But if you're listening today and you're not 100% sure that you've got your spot reserved in this place, man, I'm telling you, today's the day you can take care of that. The last thing we want to look at, point number three, is spiritual life. We'll talk for a minute about spiritual life in the millennium. Because the millennium is the spiritual kingdom of God, but it's manifest in a physical kingdom on the earth. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven being reunited as one. In fact, anytime Jesus Christ is on the earth... Both kingdoms are together. That's why in the Gospels, he can in one Gospel preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and in the other Gospel, he can preach the kingdom of God is at hand because they were both at hand because Jesus was there. Before Jesus was there, it was only the kingdom of heaven, and after Jesus ascended and it's just us, it's only the kingdom of God, and Jesus is going to return, and the two will be one again, and that is the millennial kingdom. But what I want to talk about is the worship the people and the worship and the interaction that they have with God, what's that going to be like? Because remember, the millennium is in heaven. It's just the next dispensation. There's a new way that God is dispensing His plan out to man. So once again, we're going to return to this point. It's in your notes. The new temple will be the center of all worship, similar to the Old Testament. Colossians chapter 2, recognize this is Colossians. This is written to the church. It says in verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now in the church age, don't let people judge you about that junk. It's not for you now. But after the colon, which are a shadow of things to come. 
Those things are coming back after the church age. There's not going to be in this temple worship the golden candlestick. There's not going to be the table of showbread. There's not going to be the altar of incense. There's not going to be an Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of Covenant used to be uh, the bowl of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the Ten Commandments. Why? Why are these not going to be present in the new temple? Because all of these things represent something that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And there's going to be no veil between the holy place and the most holy place because the veil is the separation between God and man, and that separation is done away with in Jesus Christ. But there will be, there will still be that brazen altar. And that brazen altar is the place where they sacrificed the animal sacrifices. We see in Ezekiel 43, again, the context is the millennium. Verse 18, and he said unto me, Son of man, thus saith the Lord God, these are the ordinances of the altar in the day when they shall make it to offer burnt offerings thereon and to sprinkle blood thereon. And we'll see that the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, the tribe of Levi, will be serving that altar. Again, Ezekiel 43, the next verse. And thou shalt give to the priests, the Levites, that be of the seed of Zadok, which approach unto me to minister unto me, saith the Lord God, a young bullock for a sin offering. And with all the regulations that the priesthood has to go through, and that's Ezekiel 44, 17 to 24, where they have to wear, you know, the linen undergarments and men have to have the short hair and you can only have one wife and they become the teachers of the people and they have to keep the Sabbaths and all these things that are going to be taking place. This is the context of the millennium. But they're going to offer on that, on that altar sacrifices for a sin offering, which means sacrifices in your notes will continue for sin because there's going to continue to be sin. It's only the seventh dispensation. Ezekiel 45, again, the context is the millennium. Verse 17, it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings and meat offerings and drink offerings in the feasts and the new moons and in the Sabbaths, all the solemnities of the house of Israel. He shall prepare the sin offering and the meat offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering to make reconciliation for the house of Israel. We're not talking about the church. The church is done. We're glorified. Our sins are taken care of. We've been through the judgment seat of Christ. We're talking about the people living in human bodies on the earth. There's still going to be sin, shocking as it may seem. But we're not going to take the time to read it all, but in Revelation 20, verses 7 and 9, is that story where in that millennial time, at the end of the 1,000 years, Satan will be loosed for a very short time and will deceive many people to rise up in rebellion against God. How is that possible if there's not still sin in their hearts? You see, these people live in the seventh dispensation. By the way, children will be born to them during this 1,000-year period, and those children need to be making their decisions for themselves, whether they will willingly follow Jesus Christ or whether they will rebel. And many, sadly, will rebel even during this utopia, shocking as it may seem. Of all the Jewish feasts, there's only two that are going to continue into the millennium. One is the Passover and the other is that of the tabernacles. The Feast of Passover with the unleavened bread, typically in the first month of the Jewish calendar, right around April for us. But in this case, the Passover during the millennium won't offer a lamb because that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they're just going to be celebrating God's forgiveness and the commitment to clean living. That's the unleavened bread. So in Ezekiel 45, 21, in the first month and 14th day of the month, you shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread. 
shall be eaten. And the Feast of Tabernacles is in the seventh month, our September, the timing of Jesus Christ's birth and the timing of Jesus Christ's second coming to the, to, back to earth in the month of late September. So Zechariah 14, 16, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is the context of the millennium. And it shall be that whoso not, um, will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So there's immediate consequences if you continue to live in your rebellion. Physical consequence won't rain on you. Your, your crops won't grow. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not up uh, and come not and have, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacle. Can you see in this picture, the Lord is going to make it very easy for everybody to understand. This is a real deal. Let's just get in line. Let's just do this together. And uh, God wants to just celebrate this life together with them. And most people are going to, they're going to be like, of course, this is a, this is a no-brainer, right? And so the good news is everyone's going to worship Jehovah. There's not going to be any competitors and there's not going to be any atheists. I mean, it would be ridiculous. The book of Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, those days referring to the tribulation, therefore pointing to the millennium. Saith the Lord, I'll put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. No evangelism in the millennium. No, no need for it. Why? For all shall know me. Everybody knows who Jesus is. There's no need for faith. There's no need for evangelism. Nobody's bowing their knee and receiving Christ as their personal Savior. It's a different dispensation. And as a result, there's going to be complete unity of faith. There's not going to be any arguing. There's not going to be any fighting. There's not going to be any religious theological debates anymore. Remember, there's no wars, right? So he says in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant. I can't even imagine how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, I mean, I understand it in a, in a micro scale, like in our church, but in a macro scale worldwide, man. Psalm 87, 7, as well the singers and the players on instruments shall be there, and all my springs are in thee, and people just worshiping in unity and faith. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Amen. So I'm going to wrap this up with the last question. Are you sure you're going there? Are you sure you got your spot reserved? Because Jesus gives a stern warning in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, where he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of people out there saying, oh yeah, Lord, I believe in God, oh yeah. But not everybody that just says it are for sure going to be there. Who's going to be there? But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He says, in fact, many, the majority, many will say to me in that day, that day is the day of the Lord. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? These are religious people. And then will I profess unto them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Man, that, that's a sobering reality that you want no part of. If you're here and you're hearing my voice and you're hearing, more importantly, the voice of the Lord, and you're a pretender, and, and you've been given lip service to the Lord, but deep in your heart and soul, you are not fully surrendered to His Lordship. Can I just invite you to get that taken care of?
I'm going to pray with you. And man, if you need to get it right, get it right now. Because I'm going to tell you, here we are, the year 2021, right at two full days, 2,000 years, the end of the sixth day. That seventh day is coming. You might be running out of time. This world's going crazy. You don't know what you have tomorrow. And I'm not trying to be crazy about like I know when the Lord's coming. I sense it soon, but I don't know. I know this. We have friends and loved ones in this church who have friends and loved ones who are passing away. I mean, people die all the time. You don't know. It could have been me this year. It could be you. You want to take this one seriously. You want to get it right. So, man, if you need to get right with the Lord, let's get right with the Lord. Let's pray together.